Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 133 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff. I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. And I know a lot of you take this to your team, which is amazing. Thanks for sharing that. But if you ever want more, um, do you know about the show notes? Sometimes I get the odd message that people are like, what, where are the show notes? You just go to kerrynewhoff.com or leadlikeneverbefore.com. And uh, you'll see it right there. It'll be, uh, if you're listening live, it'll be one of the first posts on the blog. You just click the blog tab and otherwise... Uh, there's a little search window and you can just go in there and, and look for our guest. And today's guest is Todd Adkins. And some of you may know him because uh, you'll recognize five leadership questions. You know him from Lifeway Leadership. I've also been on his podcast before, Five Leadership Questions, along with Barnabas Piper. Great guy. And uh, today we're going to talk about developing leaders. One of the questions I get all the time is, do you know any churches that are like, they have an amazing leadership pipeline? Uh, Todd Todd knows how to train this stuff, and he's doing an unbelievable job. In fact, in the time that we spend together, it's kind of like drinking from a leadership fire hose. So have your notebooks ready and make sure you can go to the show notes as well. It's just uh, kerrynewhoff.com slash episode 133, 133. So we're going to look at that today. I want to thank you so much for joining us. I hope, you know, I don't know, I'm recording this. I thought spring was here and then it's not. I'm not even talking to my friends in the South and right now it's really cold while I'm recording this a few weeks in advance, but I hope by the time we get to the airing in this episode, spring is finally here. I am looking forward to getting back on my bike outside. It sure beats spinning inside because uh, that's where I love to do a lot of my podcast listening. And uh, I don't know about you. Maybe you're on a run right now. You're at the gym or you're cooking dinner or you're on your commute or whatever, uh, but wherever you find yourself, Hey, thanks for tuning in, and uh, I think we're going to have a great time together. If this episode is meaningful to you, would you share it with somebody? Either uh, share it directly or just go on social and share it there. You can also leave a rating and review on iTunes. That's another way of sharing because I don't want to say it. Can I say it? Sharing is caring? Nah, I'm not going to say that. I wouldn't say that in public, but hey, when you share, (laughs) I really appreciate it. And this podcast continues to grow and reach more leaders, and, and thanks for that. Uh, Speaking of leaders, I would love for you to be able to do a fantastic job training your leaders. And one of the challenges is just getting everybody in the same place. So everything's moving online and why not your training? Uh, Trainedup.org does an unbelievable job of equipping your church, regardless of your budget, regardless of your staffing or your size. If you can kind of record your training, they will get it to your volunteers in course modules in a way that even allows you to go way beyond training, you know, half of your volunteers who happen to show up or, you know, onboarding your new people. You can probably even get to like 90 to 100% of all of your volunteers trained by using this delivery system. They've got some free resources too. So head on over and check out trainedup.org and um, tell them Carrie sent you when you connect with them. Okay, Scott Magdalene and the people there would love to connect with you. Also, if you have not yet registered for my two favorite spring, uh, early summer conferences, what's keeping you? Rethink Leadership is almost sold out. You can get the last few tickets at rethinkleadership.com. Or if you're in Canada, come to the Canadian Church Leaders Conference. It's happening in June. We got a handful of tickets left and I would love for you to come and join us north of Toronto. So uh, make sure you drop by 
and visit CanadianChurchLeaderConference.com or RethinkLeadership.com because we'd love to welcome you in Atlanta or just north of Toronto in April and then again for the Canadian one in June. So without any further ado, let's jump into my conversation with Todd Atkins. Well, I'm really excited to have a guy on this podcast that I have wanted to have for a while. Todd Adkins is with me, and I've been a guest a couple times on your podcast, right, Todd? A lot of our listeners would yes, know yeah. you and Barnabas from the five. How many podcasts do you have? You have multiple podcasts, don't you? Um, I do two, and Barnabas does two. Right. I do five LQ with Barnabas, five leadership questions with Barnabas, and I also do one called New Churches with Daniel M. Right. Um which is primarily on multi-site and church planting. Um, and he's, he's a fellow Canadian. I know he is. We, we hold him in high regard, and he's been on the Canadian Church Leaders podcast. Did there you know you that? Go. The other one that I do. So I didn't know that. Yeah, for both I Canadians who listen. No, actually, it, it's been, had a very generous reception, so that's great. So <laughs> We do both of those, and then uh, Barnabas also does Happy Rant, uh, mm-hmm. which I don't listen to, so I have plausible deniability. <laughs> Barnabas would never rant about anything, would he? I don't think oh, so. Oh, uh, that's in his his, his very DNA. Name, right? It absolutely you know, is. I'm a big Strength Finder guy, uh-huh. and so I, I know Strength Finder in and out. And so you know, I see his, and sarcasm is his number one. And I'm yeah, like, yeah, it's not even a strength. <laughs> He's fun to hang out. Oh, with. it's bad. We, Barnabas um, was a guest early in the podcast, like the first year. When his uh, pastor's kid book came out, uh, so listeners oh, yeah. can find that. We'll link that in the show notes. And uh, but I'm just glad to have you on, and it's been a lot of fun doing your podcast. I spoke at your conference last year in Nashville, which was a great experience, as we talked about. Tell us about your role with Lifeway. What do you uh, do? Okay, so I'm the uh, director of leadership for Lifeway. So Lifeway, about four years ago, uh, decided, hey. 20 or 30 years ago, they killed a, a whole segment or section. Uh, it wasn't a full division, but it was a pretty large section uh, that was geared toward leadership and hmm. leadership development in local churches. And so when Tom Rayner came in and then Eric Geiger came in, they said, hey, this is a really important area that that we aren't doing right now. Um, we need somebody to come in and really develop that space for Lifeway. Um, that was before Tom Rayner really... Uh, his blog and and his podcast and everything blew up. Yeah. Uh, so I was grateful for the timing or the <laughs> ride those coattails for a like, little bit. eh? We need you to come make a, uh, a name for Lifeway in the leadership space. And I'm like, well, you kind of have already done. That <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. No, and Tom's uh, also been a guest on this podcast too. I got to so, have him back. Uh, so we do uh, the pipeline event, uh, leadership pipeline, coaching, um, consulting, uh, but a, a, a big portion of what we do is Ministry Grid, which is a online learning management system that has yeah. you know 400 sessions of training. Uh, it's not Netflix for your church. It's not seriously mentioned. 400 sessions of training. Four thousand over four thousand. Yeah. Wow. So it's, I mean, everything from parking to polity to uh, you know church security and. Hey, do you like film four thousand videos? How did that work? <laughs> uh, we've got guys. Uh, got you know, people. one of the great things uh, about Lifeway is the the massive amount of uh, resources that are at play. Thank you, Beth Moore. Uh, we have 
lots of production equipment and guys that know how to use it um, right. because of all the different things that Lifeway does from Beth to Priscilla to we, we do, we have events almost every weekend. So it takes a large amount of production equipment and a large production team to be able to pull that off. We actually, uh, we have, you know, full-time, I have full-time, uh, on my team, somebody that all they do is content. Uh, all they do is video and, and audio content. So wow. we are constantly and consistently developing content that takes people somewhere. I'm a, a firm believer that, you know, as church practice has changed, uh, about 20, 30 years ago where we started being more of a menu, yeah. uh, driven culture than a map driven culture. Hmm. Um, we lost something. So yeah, that's a good observation. I like, I hadn't heard that metaphor menu versus map. That's interesting. It's I mean, you know, I, I know that um, some of the denominational, uh, the centrality and and power structure and all those things of the the denomination, there were some some bad things uh, with those with those uh, a lot of mainline denominations, but there were also some really good things mm-hmm. like that uh, specialization uh, that you would have, like that scope and sequence of training and development, really discipleship that would happen. Uh, so I have a Baptist background and I can remember growing up in the middle of nowhere, Kentucky with, you know, a mm-hmm. church of a hundred people. Um, but we had training union on Sunday night and wow. I can remember my dad, you know, shuffling his feet back and forth in the gravel parking lot and having conversations that ultimately led him to become a pastor. Mm. And those people in that church, uh, you know, they weren't necessarily capable of, asking good coaching questions or anything right. like that, that would, but they were perfectly capable of having a conversation. So when we are, are saying, Hey, we're going to develop a map or we're going to develop a scope and sequence to have a pipeline of development in a church. What we're saying is, Hey, transformation happens in the context of a relationship. That's not going to change, but we want to make sure that we are helping people have catalytic conversations. And we do that by giving them good questions to ask. They're perfectly capable of having the conversation, but it's setting up that scope and sequence and setting up those uh, conversations to be to, to win. Yeah, I want to spend a lot of time of our time together today talking about leadership development because that's become um, a buzzword, I guess, over the last five years. I mean, it's never really gone away, but over the last five yeah. years, you hear a lot of people talking about it and a lot of people identifying it as a massive need in the church. In other words, hey, we got to take leadership development seriously. I did a podcast recently with David Kinneman on his state of the pastors. And I mean, I think 10% of pastors identified leadership development as something that they really enjoy doing. And it's showing the average age of clergy is up a decade. Uh, the average pastor now, senior pastor, is 54 years old, not 44 years old as uh, they were a generation ago. And so this is a big need. Um, and you have done, I think, a great job of developing a leadership pipeline framework at Lifeway. So tell me, why did you guys decide to jump into that space and actually develop that that grid, that pipeline? Well, one of the reasons was actually uh, research-based. So I got here about four years ago. The first thing I did was, uh, you know, knock on Ed Stetzer's door and say, hey, mm-hmm. m- I've been given the mandate to do this. I want to make sure I'm not just doing what I want to do, but what people actually need. Um, so it's, I think it was close to 2000 pastors were surveyed. One of the interesting, the my craziest stats that, that came out of that was 92% of pastors said training uh, and development was critical to the health and growth of their church. Yep. 
yet only about one in four churches actually had any plan in place to do so. So this massive gap you saw. Massive, you know, knowing, doing gap. Yeah, yeah. Um, And then, so you dig a little bit deeper and you find a couple of things. Well, first you find off, uh, even the people that say they have training and development, it's really onboarding. So Hmm. it's to say, hey, oh yeah, we have training and development and it's really for new volunteers or new leaders. Here's how to become a member of guest services. Yeah, we're going to give you a a small group. Yeah, and onboarding, not ongoing. But the big thing, the the four reasons uh, that people gave was they didn't know how. Yep. uh, Meaning, you know, they didn't have the expertise in that. They don't have time. Hmm. They don't have a framework um, and they don't have the resources. So it's, it's, it's interesting, uh, especially the framework piece, um, having, you know, again, that scope and sequence, because if you don't have that, even if you are trying to train, you're putting people on, on a cruise to nowhere. I mean, you know, there's no destinations or ports of call along the way. You just go out and meander around, choose your own adventure (laughs) and people, you lead people back where they, they started. Um, it's great, uh, to scratch some itch, but it doesn't actually, help them progress to who God has created them to be. Hmm. So you saw this gap and you thought you'd get interested in it. Why, why do you think many church leaders are not all that good at leadership development? I mean, clearly there's a problem, right? Whether you're passionate about it or not, the knowledge gap to the action gap can be pretty big. Why do you think most churches are not great at leadership development? Well, um, <laughs> you have permission to speak I freely say, given you look like you are gearing up like you are stepping uh, <laughs> on the accelerator todd i can uh, I'm tell sorry this is what i do all day long i know day. i know so uh, go for and it talk to churches all day long every day and, go for and, it. um so here's the here's the rub if the average pastor and i'm not just talking about the senior pastor but yeah. the average person on staff at a church would take out their job description and and first of all if you don't have a role description um, you're not alone. I mean, there are plenty of churches that don't even have role descriptions for their staff, let alone their volunteers. No kidding. But if you looked at that and you categorized, if you don't have one, just say, what are the 20 things that I do on a regular basis? Like if I look back over the, the last week, what are the 20, you know, things that took my time this week? How did I spend my time? Write those down and then have two columns doing and developing. And put a check mark in one of those columns, and then you'll get your, you know, your your development quotient, your equipping quotient, whatever you want to call it. And most people are, it's woefully lopsided in their doing, not developing. Wow. And it's that's a healthy audit. I'm a <laughs> quadrant audit. Yeah, you are. You're you're a wonk this in this guy. stuff, right? Like you love it. Uh, I love it. And that is because what it does is it brings about conviction. We all know that we go to a conference and, you know, we may get really fired up, but at the end of the day, um, are we convicted enough to do something about it? So a lot of people are convicted about leadership development. As we said, 92%, you know, we're convicted about it. Mm -hmm. However, the knowledge doing gap, uh, is so great because Sunday's coming. You know, the, the, the yeah. number two thing they said was time. I, I don't have the time and growing increasingly, um, people don't have the time, you know, mm. from travel ball and, uh, the, just the state of families these days and, and the willingness to invest the time 
is not as as much is not there as much as it more it was once and and furthermore you know the church used to be the only show in town for yep. a lot of places uh, and it's not anymore uh, no. we've got urbanization we don't own Sundays all these things that are coming into play so I think those are are some primary reasons so if you get people's attention and everyone is trying to get everyone else's attention if you get their attention um, you had to better make good use of it. Uh, the cardinal sin of a leader is wasting someone's time. Hmm. Um, because if a leader gives you their time and attention and you waste their time, uh, then the next time you call them, their their dance card is going to be full. Their mm-hmm. calendar, they won't have room in it for you. And secondly, uh, if you're just you know trying to get someone to fill a spot, in your church, in the children's area or whatever, the same thing. You've got to invest somewhat in that person uh, because people will recognize very quickly that they're being dumped on and not developed. Mm. Those are those are really, really good insights. And I think you've owned a lot of people. I mean, I'm thinking about my own week through the doing development lens. And that's not just developing your staff. That's like, who else are are you discipling? Are you, are you developing? That's a, that's a really, really good challenge. That's something that every leader could do. Just make a column of what you do, the top 20 things, how much is doing, how much is developing. And I think a lot of us get into this trap, whether you lead a large church or a small church, it's like, I love doing, developing's harder. Any other thoughts about why development is so underdeveloped <laughs> at, at the local because church Because somebody level? didn't do it for them. It's right. The same, it's the same excuse that we hear about discipleship. Mm-hmm. Well, nobody discipled me, so I don't really know how to disciple anybody else. Or I was never discipled. You know, I yep. just got kind of thrown in and and had to figure it out. But, um, you know, all of us, a lot of times if I'm in a room of uh, pastors or church staff, I'll ask them how many people in the room were given the keys to significant ministry before they were ready. And, you know, mm-hmm. everybody, everybody raises their, hand. Puts their hand up. We're I'm and still we're not all ready. Of we're all guilty of doing that uh, to other people. And just because that was the way it was done or has been done doesn't mean it needs to be that way anymore. Yeah. Um, and, you know, some of these problems are just created over the last 60 years when churches, when you even had churches that were over 50, mm-hmm. that were over 100. The mega has just been changed by the very nature of how we do church these days. Yeah, we had a little break up there, but you were saying the mega church phenomena has really changed how we do church. Do so you think mega churches do a better job of leadership development than smaller churches, Todd? No, I don't think it's respective of of size. It's okay. respective of conviction to do it. If you have the conviction and and you create a culture of it and and you give people um, you know, systems and processes to back that up so that they can actually do that, then uh, I, I think you've got it. And if you, if the pastor's not convicted about it, uh, or the, the minister of a given area under which you serve is not convicted about it, then that's probably not going to happen. Interesting. So how do mega churches grow if they're not, or larger churches, even, you know, take a church of 300, 400, how does a church grow if you're not doing leadership development? What's the, what's the bad way to grow then? Or how, how do you grow without leadership? I think people are building, uh, building audiences and not armies. So I would say we need to shift from, you know, build an army, not an audience. I think there, Hmm. there are churches that are, that are doing that well. I, I think there are churches that, 
you know, there's, there's always the, the fear of missing out and the, the fear of taking somebody off if you, you know, kill one ministry to invest in another or send people out. Um, so I think one of the most healthy things that's happening right now is we're seeing the progression of multi-site, the progression of church planting, and those things are really uh, sexy, for lack of a better word. So mm-hmm. you, are sending, you are seeing churches that are investing heavily in those things, and as a result, that's where they're coming back to the whole you know, concept of, of development. Like, oh, th- they're kind of backing into it. That's how I backed into Pipeline. Hmm. Is, is okay. Say more about that. How did you back into it? So, um, I was at McLean Bible Church just outside DC. Yes, um, been there. I was uh, one of the, the XPs there, and you know, Long got up and said, "Hey, I want ten campuses in the next ten years." We ended up doing like nine and four and a half. Wow! But that was like part of my bag. That was part of my job. And so, in doing that, um, you quickly say, "Okay, well." How are we going to do this? How are we going to make this scale? And it really comes back to people development, staff development. Um, But it's not just, you know, throwing up your staff org chart. You have to throw up your volunteer org chart as well. And just to say, hey, this is a pipeline is not about progression through the pipeline. It's becoming who God's created you to be. And once you reach, you know, that that point, I, I don't think we ever truly reach that point, but you know, once we become a leader, we need to become a multiplier in whatever, you know, level we feel most comfortable in. So it's not just enough for me to be, it's okay if I don't want to be, you know, a coach, I just want to be a leader. Well, if you're a leader, I need you to multiply leaders in your group. So I need you to constantly be developing the people in your group uh, to become leaders as well. So whatever, uh, for me, one of the most valuable um, books I ever picked up was Leadership Engine by Noel Tichy. You know, Leadership Pipeline is actually a book by Ram Sharan. When you marry those two together, you're looking at a, a teaching organization or a development organization that says, okay, volunteers recruit mm. and develop volunteers. It's not the staff or it's not the leaders or it's not the coaches. It's actually volunteers who recruit and develop volunteers. It's right leaders on. who recruit, develop leaders. And so that is that concept is so so foreign to us uh, in the church. Those are both, of course, business books. They're, they're you know, based on Jack Welch and GE and sure. uh, Pepsi and, you know, all kinds of other things. Well, that that's really good. And, and I mean, in, in a sense, business stole the church's mojo because you look at the first century church, it was leadership development left, right, and center. I mean, that's what Jesus was doing with the disciples over those three years. That's what they did with the early church. That's what the Apostle Paul was doing city to city, place to place. So, and, and I think you're right. Sometimes you back into it. I mean, it's hard to become many, many different sites. I mean, multiplication really forces you into leadership development because as human beings, you cannot be in two places at once or nine places at once. And so uh, I can see that. Walk us through some of the foundations. And I know you've got this whole framework and we'll link to all the books you're mentioning and we will link okay. to all the resources that we talk about in this episode in the show notes. So Listeners, you can go there just to carrynewhoff.com or leadlikeneverbefore.com and look up this episode and you'll find it there. Um, but walk us through the basic framework of like how a church goes from doing to developing, from audience to army. What are some of the keys in your mind, just in big picture, for how that's done? Well, I would say, uh, you know, leadership development is poetry and plumbing. It is the, the vision that inspires. You have to get people 
to understand and be excited and, and want to grow. Um, but it's also the systems and processes are actually what delivers on the dream. Right. And, and that is the hard stuff. Um, hmm. there are plenty of, of churches out there that, uh, get the poetry piece down where that's a lot about what a lot of us do for a, a living. That's what we, yeah. you know, we you live wordsmith, to, right? You we probably. live to preach. Yeah. Um, but at the same time I would be like, yeah, but it's just as important to go through our, our systems, our plumbing, our, you know, the, the way that somebody goes from coming and visiting to our church to getting in that small group on Thursday night in someone's home. How did that happen? What was that process like? Not what we think it was like or not how we planned it to happen, but how did it actually happen and how can we recreate that? How can we make it easier for that Mm. person to make that connection? And it's doing that on a massive scale. It's, it's doing that on a scale of going through and looking at the entire, you know, all of our systems. It's saying, you know, from time to time we have to defragment uh, those systems because, you know, the reason why we always had to, I have actually had to defrag my Mac. I was told <laughs> by someone, you never have to do that. And I'm like, well, if you use it enough. <laughs> if you use it enough. If you, if you, if you use yeah. it enough, you do. Um, but you know, it's because things are written and rewritten and, and copied and, you know, you've got all these, these, it just gets really complicated. So it's hard to find the data. And in a church, it's hard for our people sometimes to see what their path is because we see it. We know what it is. We created it and it happened over time. But unless we are diligent about going back and looking at things like I discovered, I had 26 different leadership applications at my church. Wow. 26. You mean to become a leader. So onboarding, there were 26 different applications. 26 different applications. So, you know, in our churches, a lot of our people serve in more more than one area. So what's it make us look like? Yeah, like you don't know what you're doing. Like the staff (laughs) never meet. We have, we, and we're wasting their time every time we're retraining them. How many times do I have to give you my address? Right. Exactly. So it is things like that and, and just clear job descriptions and having a set template so that when right. a volunteer serves in this area or that area, um, they understand because they've kind of been through it before. The responsibilities may be different, but they're laid out. The expectations are laid out clearly and yeah. in the same manner. So there's there's things like that that sound very businesslike or very uh, systematic, you know, whatever the word you want to use. I, people think that systems are unholy and I'll remind them that, you know, we're in a solar system and we're talking <laughs> right now because there's blood and oxygen pumping through our circulatory system. God yeah. is a God of systems. So yeah, it's not ungodly um, to think in this way and, and to set things up in this way. No, that's good. Just so that um, leaders can see themselves clearly in the mirror. You mentioned like, okay, 26 applications or five applications are clearly staff that have not talked through onboarding at a systematic level. What are some other signs that your church does not have a leadership development culture that you haven't owned this? So let me give you an example. I've met many churches of a thousand. We're just above that level. You know, we have 12 staff and they're like, how do you do it with 12 staff? It's like, well, we have a lot of volunteers and I think we can still do a lot better at Connexus Church and developing a leadership pipeline. I've met other staff uh, or other churches that are our size that have 25 or 30 staff. Now to me, that can be a sign that you're a little bit bloated. Uh, what What do you think about that? And what are some other signs so that when people look in the mirror, they go, oh yeah, we do not have a leadership development culture. 
I think there's a couple of things. Um, so you need to look at your staff and say, hey, did we build these people or did we buy these people? Mm. Man, you are Mr. Jargon. I love this. You have so many like snappy phrases. This is great. I just got to say, well, well done. <laughs> did we build I, uh, these people or did we buy these people? No, so here's good. the deal. No, you're here's right. You're right. And, and uh, I've said this on the podcast numerous times and my staff would back it up. Most of the stuff, not most of the stuff, a lot of the stuff I say, it's not like I've mastered it. It's just I walked out of the last meeting or the last chapter of a book I read or whatever. And I'm like, how can I, what's the summarization? Like, how do I summarize yeah. this? And that's where something like that, you know, that's, Good. that's where it come from. But that, that's very convicting and very clarifying. Did we build it or did we buy them? It, it is. And, and so if you're looking at your staff and you're saying, oh, we bought most of these people, I'd say, you know, there's a problem there. There are times to buy staff um, if you're trying to change a culture. If there's an aspect of culture you want to tweak or change, that's when you would bring in someone from the outside. Yeah. But if your if your culture is healthy, um, you should be reproducing from your own culture. Uh, it, it's much more likely that that person will thrive in that position and in that role. Hmm. Um, a couple of other things that might indicate that you know you're you don't have um, a good pipeline in place is if you are, you know, launching new campuses or sending people out and you simply don't have the people to send. Yeah. yeah. Um, one of the things I would say is if you're not growing, uh, if you're not growing, you probably are doing a, a terribly good job. If you're mm -hmm. stagnant and plateaued, uh, there's a reason for that. Those are really good. And, and I think a lot of people can see that. What about scarcity of volunteers? Most churches I run into, it's like, oh gosh, we're so understaffed with volunteers. Is that a sign of a lack of a leadership development culture? Yes. If you are conscripted into service by being a member or right. you're conscripted into service because you have a preschool child and hey, the way it is here, if you're, if you got kids in preschool, you have to serve once a month. <laughs> uh, and so if you, if you have a culture that is more uh, warm body than weekly volunteers, that's a really good yeah. indication. That, All right, that, 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 that's taking the fog off the mirror now. I think a lot of us see more clearly. So if you have an abundance of volunteers, if you're building your staff, would you say that goes to internal versus external hires as well? That generally, you know, you're finding people who attend your church, you're, you know, they become key volunteers, then you're like, hey, what about coming on with us full-time, part-time? And you're really developing them from somebody who sat in the back row to somebody who is now leading all of your connection ministries. Is that? Yes. And, okay. And, and if you're, if you've reached a point where you have, um, you have somebody in a role that is a volunteer, they have a, you know, 40 plus hour a week job already, but they're a volunteer and they're doing what the church has a full-time person down the road to, to do. You've developed them to that point. Right. Um, they're invested enough in your vision. They're invested enough in your church that they're, you know, they're staffing, uh, you know, 48 ushers at three different services on Sunday morning. They've, they're in charge of 150 ushers and that's not a paid role. Mm -hmm. Then you're doing an incredible job as of leadership <laughs> development. Yeah. Leadership you know, Shauna Lester, who runs our kids ministry, I think about her on a regular basis when I think of that. She's got something like 250 volunteers. And I mean, we have so little staff for the number of kids we have, but that's because she has done an unbelievable job developing volunteers. Here's another question for you. Talk to a lot of church staff who are chronically overworked. 
I mean, Sunday morning doesn't happen without them. Uh, if they miss a day, the whole system falls apart. It, can that be a sign that you really don't have a leadership pipeline in place? Yes, you have. Uh, you are not giving the ministry away. We've got one job in Ephesians four yeah. as church leaders uh, to equip the saints for the one for the uh, work of the ministry. If we do that, it says uh, the church will be the body will be built up and and measured in the fullness of Christ. Right. And so we've got we've got one job, but a lot of times um, either. We're we're a victim of our own uh, success and pride, and and we don't realize it. The, whether it's it's a pride issue or it's a um, conviction issue, mm-hmm. the bottom line is we're not giving the ministry away. When I look at uh, some churches, some church staffs, what they're doing is saying, "Okay, I am the master chef." I don't know what the ingredients are going to be like on Sunday morning and only I can whip it up and put it together and make it right. Or their grandma and grandma has the recipe in her head and she refuses to write it down. Going to die with me. (laughs) She refuses to write it down (laughs) when I'm like, grandma, if you would just write the recipe down, then we could, we could make the stuff. (laughs) It may not be exactly how you would make it. Yeah, it may not, but it'd be better. I would say if you want to take a step further, then we go Betty Crocker and we put it in a box. So I'm going to give you, I am going, there are three types of, um, of processes in a church. They're simple, complicated, and complex. Simple hmm. is if I do these things in this order, I'm going to get this every time. It is baking a cake. Yeah, it's Becky, Betty Crocker. It's Betty Crocker. It's saying, hey, if you put two eggs in this and set the timer, you're going to get the cake every time. Um, is it a 10? No, no, it's an eight, but I have, I have given that ministry to a person, which I'm supposed to do. I've developed to the point where they can do that and deliver that, um, a little bit with my help every time. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, I want to get them to, you know, a, a, a phase where they're doing it on their own. They're putting all the ingredients together, but, but really, um, that second level is there's. You've got the simple, the complicated would be several processes that are connected in a row that may be more like an assimilation process or how does that person get from here mm-hmm. to here. It it may um, touch into several different processes in the church that sure. aren't connected. They're not under even the same ministry area. And we do ourselves a great disservice when we don't um, do a, a, almost a checklist and see how those things interact, what those processes sure. are, because nine times out of ten, that's going to be your issue. That's going to be your problem. Your problem is going to be in the plumbing. Mm. Um, we have pe- we have plenty of people problems, and we we know that. Um, but you're never going to have enough time for the people problems or the development of people, which is our primary role uh, and strategy. You're not going to have time for those three things if you spend so much time doing the work of the ministry, uh, not equipping for the work of the ministry. What's the difference between complicated and complex? Complex is the people stuff. Complex is, you know, complicated would be, uh, it's not the cake in a box. It's a seven layer cake that I have to deliver across Mm -hmm. town at two 30. There's several things that have to come into play, but I can hit it with reasonable accuracy. Complex is there's two couples in my, one of my small groups swapping keys. Uh Aha. That is, this is a, this is a mess. We don't know how this is going to uh, this is going to turn out. There's people involved. There's emotion. There's all these different things into play. I have to, um, it's a people issue. People's lives are at stake. Um, 
I'm, I'm seeking to get this person closer to, you know, Christ mm. through this process. And, and so that takes a lot of time, effort, energy, emotion, and it's not, it's not a cake. It's not yeah. something that is, I do this, this, and this, and this problem is solved. Uh, it, it requires more. And I would say the same thing with development and the same thing with mm-hmm. strategy and looking at uh, the church as a whole. And do you think all, th- all three kinds of issues, the uh, simple, complicated, and complex, can they be given to different kinds of volunteers, non-staff leaders? Like I'm thinking about like complex. So there's a big small group issue. I am not always the best. In fact, guaranteed, no. I'm not the best person to walk into that situation. And as we've grown as a church, I can actually think of non-staff people that I would send in even before I send in staff people. Totally. And it's because okay. of a level of competence. Yes. So when I talk about training and development, I'm talking about competence-based, competency-based learning. So if right. you look at Pipeline and you double-click uh, on some of those things, you're seeing Hey, we have learning objectives that are specific to, you know, a certain competency. And as you grow in levels of leadership, you're, you're required to be more competent. The traditional form of education, uh, you know, in, in college, your major, it's measured in time. It's measured yeah. in being able to display knowledge. It's not measured in competence. Well, a lot of it has to go back to gifting as well, right? Like, and yeah. hey, when you're into um, complex, you're probably down to one or 2% of the people who can handle it. But yeah. not all those people have to be on staff, and they certainly don't have to be you if you're the senior leader. Um, okay, that's really, really helpful. So let's start. I think we've done a really good job looking in the mirror, clearing the fog off the mirror. We see ourselves fairly accurately, and most listeners at this point, most leaders, have a reasonable idea whether they're you know striking out, batting a hundred, or batting a thousand on this stuff, or eight hundred. I don't think you bat a thousand until you get to heaven. But so let's <laughs> let's start the reconstruction then. So somebody is at zero. I'm striking out every time. I'm doing everything. Uh, we barely have staff. Let's say it's a small church situation. Uh, people show up to meetings, but they, they don't actually lead anything. We're chronically short of volunteers. Uh, and the volunteers we have are just basically standing at the door, handing out bulletins or, you know, doing crowd control in children's ministry. But we don't really have any leaders in the house. Where do you start? If you're in that position, then we'll work our way up to people who are in the middle as well. I would say you, you start with yourself. I mean, mm. do I have a, now that I have a conviction to lead, how am I leading myself? Okay. Um, so with self leadership? Yes. I mean, because it's a daily discipline to make the choices to do what you're going to have to do. So, to so what does like, that look like? Help, help me understand self leadership. How do I become the kind of leader who, who like, what is that? What am I doing differently? I'm, I'm choosing not to bow to uh, the altar of Sunday morning mm-hmm. and the excellence of Sunday morning in my particular thing. Um, because sometimes we sacrifice what's biblical <laughs> and effective on the altar of tradition uh, in our church or in, in the altar of this is, this is how it is or whatever. It is, it is saying, I'm not going to, uh, I'm, I'm not going to sacrifice development of someone else, which is my primary job just to get this job done, you know, the way I would do it. So first of all, I have to be willing to accept this is, this may not be the way I would do it, but I'm going to. 
do something differently. So that's to the perfectionist who thinks only, sorry to interrupt, but that's for the perfectionist who thinks only I can do a great job of this kid's ministry or this student ministry or this sermon or uh, this music piece. You're willing to settle for a seven out of 10 or a six out of 10 instead of what you perceive to be your nine or 10 out of 10. So it's, it's starting with posture, that posture. Mm. And then it's, okay, I need to create the, the vision, the, the value, the, the conviction in at least the, the segment of the culture that I can control. Yeah. Um, I need to create that. Uh, and then I need to, it, it may not be, I don't have to have the framework and everything figured out yet. Right. Um, but I need to go ahead and say, I'm going to invest in two people. Um, because if you invest in two people and they invest in two people and they invest in two people, um, over the course of three years, believe it or not, it, the math actually works out to be like 25 people That's and cool. everybody, you know, has heard crazy statistics at a conference. And I'm like, no, it's not, I'm talking just two people, mm. just two. Uh, and so it, it's, it's slow, but the power of multiplication versus addition is massive. The power of practicing mm. leadership development instead of leadership placement is powerful. Those are really good big. distinctions. So let's let's go there for a minute because addition would be I need one more volunteer. Multiplication is I'm building into somebody. I just actually came back from a guy that I've been friends with for a while and he's reengaged at our church and we were just talking about, you know, even for those of you who lead larger ministries, um, you know, getting together on a more regular basis and just that sort of discipleship that he's one of the guys I'm going to invest in in this year. And we, we said, you know, what shared activities do we have? And I said, well, you know, he's a photographer. I'm like, I used to do photography, but I mean, it can be around that. And I can see where this is going, that by the end of the year, this is somebody who's going to be released into a greater and greater uh, kingdom work, both in the church and and in his life. Is it that kind of investment as well? It's doing life with them as well as leadership with them. What would you say? Yeah, I would say there's, you know, uh, I think it, I can't remember if it was Stanley or if it was Maxwell. So you, you probably know you can correct. We'll me. just flip the, uh, who quoted that coin right now. And well, uh, it's Andy in between Stanley. those two, it's really difficult. Yeah. Andy it's Stanley, really we're going to vote but, for Andy. Um, you know, the, the three levels of shared ministry, uh, dumping, delegating and developing. Oh, um, I don't know who that was. Okay. Oh, I love it. I That's use it all great. The time. Dumping, delegating, and developing. If you if you want to nerd out with me, I'm about to nerd out. Um, but there's dumping, dumping, delegating, and developing. Um, so dumping is really tr- the traditional old school um, uh, command level. I'm gonna command you to do this, and then there's tell. Those are mm. if I'm commanding or telling, I'm just dumping. I don't care about the person or the task, right. I'm just... <laughs> Get this off my plate. Yeah. You deal with it, make um, it go away. Delegating would be, you know, teaching or training, and really developing is modeling and coaching. Um, mm. You could even get up into mentoring, and I don't even know what I'd categorize that. Um, but modeling and coaching is is the whole idea of, you know, is them watching you and you interacting with them and then they're doing it and you're interacting with them. I, I don't think that yeah. we can, if we all look back at our lives and, and how we got to where we are, whatever, wherever that is, a lot of time, no, every time it's in the context of a relationship. There are two mm-hmm. or three men or women of God that probably helped you become who you are. Totally. Some of those relationships yep. were intentional. 
Um, some weren't, but I'm like, well, think about how much more powerful they would have been yeah. if they were. Pete Copeland, Clyde Irvine. I mean, these are 20, 30 years ago, but man, it is it is Stephen Ferris. I mean, I could I could just name a few in my teens and 20s that were absolutely Ed Webster, like my dad, totally influential in my life. And they were people who invested time and came alongside me, not as a project, but as a person. And in the process, I caught so much of what discipleship and leadership is about. Development is not a transaction. Yeah. And so a knowledge transfer, that's about transaction. You know, the traditional form of education of knowledge and time is a transaction. There has to be experience and there has to be coaching. The way people transfer form is an overlap of knowledge, experience, and coaching. So when you say experience, are you talking about like on the job training or you're talking about, hey, we went to a conference together and, uh, you know, we had dinner together or what, what, what are you talking all of it. about? Yep. Yeah. I'm talking about all of it because, you know, I think there's a certain level of experience that we can, uh, that we can get even in a case study, you know, mm. putting ourselves into someone's shoes. So yeah. one of the things I love about Lifeway is the way that we construct our curriculum. And basically, I completely ripped off the way we do curriculum for leadership development because the way that you'll see, you know, questions are asked uh, in a in a study, it's moving people from generalization yeah. to implication. That's hmm. the, the general implication, the personal implication to application to implementation. Uh, and then I would add feedback and um, actualization on the end of that. And when you look at those in order, you're moving people from really from knowledge, experience to coaching. And so that can be done even in a classroom setting. If you're willing to say, hey, I'm going to flip the classroom. I'm not going to say, here's lecture, and then we're going to send you home with homework. Yeah. No, I'm going to deliver. the. the we're going to do the homework in class, and I'm not going to do a lecture. If I do do a lecture, I'm going to deliver it before because everybody around that table, for instance, if you're doing something on conflict management, everybody has a different level of competency about uh, conflict management. Everybody's got different experiences. And so one of the ways that we can get our, our leaders to engage in ongoing development is by actually leveraging them and using them as we're training other people. That person, yes, that person's been a small group leader for five years. So why are we bringing everybody together and then training to the lowest common denominator? Yeah. At the big training every year. It's crazy. I love the picture that's developing because if you think about it, and I think that's how leadership works, right? We can't develop 100 people at once. But for the person who's stuck at zero to start with two and say, hey, this is going to be a year where I'm going to pick two people that I think, you know, God has put on my heart who have great leadership potential. Maybe they're leading really well somewhere else. And this is going to be... Um, time together on a regular basis. It's going to be breakfast table, dinner table. It's going to be training. It's going to be seminars. It's going to be maybe reading a book together, praying together. I mean, it's almost the same format as discipleship as it is for leadership development, the way you're describing it. Totally it totally is. Yeah. It totally is. Yeah. It's leaders, development and discipleship are the two sides of the same coin. Yeah. I used to say, until I had a strategic conversation with Eric Geiger, I <laughs> used to say that, um, <laughs> leadership development was just advanced discipleship. How did Eric school you? What did he say? Well, he at first agreed. Uh, and then over the course of time, we started talking about um, all the people to our left and right. It was a, it was a conversation that, you know, you and I had as well. All the, 
the friends that we have that we started out with who neglected to cultivate their character along the way. And so I said, you know, I get that, but I would do people a great disservice if I, if I propagated something that was basically encouraging to think they had graduated um, from discipleship to development, that they graduated from moving from character to competency. If you, you know, the quickest way to get shot out of the saddle is not cultivating your own character is not having a repentant heart daily. So Mm -hmm. pastors listening, please tell me that you repent of something daily. Uh, if not, your heart is, first of all, then you're fully sanctified. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, and I'm surprised God hasn't taken you home. Um, (laughs) but if you aren't, then you need to remove the, the, the callus from your heart because you're, you're in big trouble. And I just say that because I know you and you and I both have had a couple of different conversations where we're just broken for the, the state of our, our fellow leaders. I, I agree. I mean, I think your competency will take you only as far as your character can sustain you. And we have talked about that. And at the end of the day, the lid on my leadership, Todd, the lid on your leadership is not how smart we are, how much we know, how many books we read. It's not even how much we pray. It's actually the lid is our soul, our character. And if we don't, you know, you think of all these super bright, super gifted people who just didn't get something under control in it took them out at the knees. And yeah, I hear that. And that's part of leadership development too. You know, it's John Maxwell's. I know this one for sure, this quote, five levels of leadership. Uh, one, probably my favorite book of the books he wrote. And the, it's not it's not his best-selling book, but he takes you through like just getting people to do something because you have a position and then getting people to do something because of the task. And then it gets into, you know, the fourth level of leadership, I think, really, is where you care about the person so much that you're doing this task together, but really we are being transformed in the process of this leadership development, which is incredible. And I think that's what happens in good leadership development, isn't it? Is that you emerge on the other side a year into this, two years into this, and and your character is different, your heart is different, you're closer to Christ, you're your your relationships are better and you are a different person because you've 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 been in leadership together with you know you or me or somebody right isn't that the idea absolutely and you know i i think you're you're moving one direction or the other you there's not a place that you get to where you're kind of at a plateau or coasting mm-hmm. or you're man you're either growing or going back the other direction and so we as leaders can't I mean, we're all going to have dry spells. We're all going to have, um, you know, places where we we're like, man, I was, you know, closer to God six months ago than I feel his presence now. Yep. But that's not, I mean, you know, some you of still that have seasonal to do, too, right? Um, I mean, yeah, it's just I, like, you're not always up into the right, but no. And you know, I, I get all that, but it is, how do I find the things that, you know, the reason why spiritual disciplines are called disciplines is because we have to continue <laughs> to practice them. True, true. And we do ourselves a great disservice. And I know that, you know, we, we've all heard 500 times the importance of those things and spending time with the Lord daily and et cetera. And that's because it's true. Well, you know, this is a really helpful start. And obviously you've got a lot more in the leadership pipeline. We'll talk about it at the end of this interview and, and also link to it in the show notes so that people can 
uh, develop a lot more. But I think that is a great primer in what to do. And maybe the answer is just start with two. And that works for the person who's at zero. But also, you know, I think that's a really good challenge for even, you know, as your church gets larger, and you see this all the time working with churches, it's easy to get disconnected. It's easy just to hide behind your staff and say, well, I'm developing staff. But like, who's your one? Who are you having breakfast for? Who are you discipling? Who are you who are you raising up that's an outlier? Who's the person that's, you know, maybe got potential, maybe doesn't, that you're actually personally building into? That That's what continues to challenge me. Um, what would you say for the, before I get, I got a couple more questions for you, but for somebody who's doing like, uh, you know, they're not batting zero, but they're batting 250, you know, barely uh, allowing you to stay in the major leagues, 230, let's say that. Um what would you say to them? What are what are some of the the people who are halfway down the road? What could they do to do a better job? I would say, you know, remember your first love. Remember why you started this. Remember who you were before Christ and you know, what magical thing happened that made you want to do this in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um and go back and look at those relationships that we talked about b- before and, and say you know, I, I think a really good question is this, Carrie, and that is, can I tell you, yes, I can tell you when I, I came to know Christ, can I tell you when I moved from being a doer to a developer? When did I have that experience? When did I have that conversion as a leader? I, I can, I mean, you know, I can go back and tell you. And I think a lot of times if somebody is a doer versus a developer, it's because they, ha- they, haven't, they haven't had that transformative experience uh that really shifts in there they haven't been we're not just called to be disciples we're called to make, make disciples. disciples and that's not yep. just us pastors that's everybody mm-hmm. that's great commission yep that's at the heart of it mm. no i i think that's good and i think seasonally you know th- this is really challenging for me because i think there are seasons where we all have to be developers i mean if you're launching something starting something expanding growing it's like i got no choice i got to develop but I think as your organization grows, your ministry grows, it's very easy to slip back into doing because you you get to a certain level of specialization in a church where even the church can afford specialists, somebody who sits behind a computer all day long and does whatever you're called to do, whether that's graphic design or media design. But like, who are you developing? That is a, that's something to write on a sticky and uh, put either on your glasses or on your computer. I think that's really good. It's about your personal succession. I mean, it really is like, yeah. I'm only going to be successful when I'm, I don't know how to say the word succeeded or seceded or whatever. Mm-hmm. But when you're thinking about, um, succession or uh, we have a healthy part of our annual reviews where I want to see everybody's succession plan. Yep. And I don't, even the guy that sits behind a computer, like I want to see what your succession plan is. I want to see how you're using volunteers. I don't care if you work in finance. I don't care mm-hmm. if you work in the specialized area. They're like, oh, we can't do this because it's finance. No, you can't. You can have you people can. enter data. Yep. I mean, you know, or, or get background checks on these people to do that are handling this or that. Um, they can do some element. Uh, so even, you know. I think that's a good challenge. You know, episode 110, I think it is, of the podcast, Jeff Brody, Jeff Henderson, and I talked about my um, succession two years ago out of the lead pastor role, Jeff Brody into that role. And that was the big overriding question with me. You know, a church our size is still not every day in Canada. And it's like, 
is what started with me going to end with me? And I wanted the answer to be no. And so probably earlier than most guys would, I stepped out of the lead role into a founding and teaching pastor role. And even now as a teaching pastor, uh, we're working very intentionally in 2017 to bring other communicators into the mix to uh, raise up people who could almost be my kids as communicators so that, you know, it's not like here's this old guy, you know, teaching us this sage, even though I'm, you know, I'm not even 52 yet, but still, I've got to be thinking about that because I don't want what started with me to end with me. But, but the nice, the fun part of the, the way we've been able to figure out how to do it is I still get to play a role. I still get to yeah. skate. I still get to put my skates on, but um, it doesn't have to all depend on me. And, and that's actually a tremendous place of joy for me personally. So this is good. All right. You are a voracious reader. Uh, that is the rumor. True. Uh, true. All yes. right. How do you make time uh, for reading? Because I think that's a struggle for a lot of people, including myself. I think people think I read way more than I do. I'm boring. Are you? Uh, that's <laughs> like I couldn't tell you a single sports statistic. Uh, who who's on what team? Like I don't. I don't even. I'm not even able to participate in any of those conversations. Um, wow. We don't watch. I mean, I may watch two or three shows a week and that is because my wife, you know, is like, Hey, please, will you please come, <laughs> you know, watch it? and I'm like, okay, can I bring my laptop? Yeah. Um, which I know sounds horrible. I, I promise I make time for my family, but it, it really is saying, okay, I got to be disciplined to do this. Yep. Um, the other thing is, um, I run with Eric Geiger. And so, mm-hmm. uh, we're constantly challenging each other by telling people or by telling each other about this book or that book. And, um, so that it's not a competition or anything, but, um, we feed off of each other. I tweet through books a lot. And yeah, I've seen you do that. When I say, Hey, I'm going to tweet through this book. Sometimes it's because I'm just trying to hold myself accountable. I'm trying to make yeah. myself read this. Do you read every book to the end? Or if you're bored, you just dump it and start something new? If I'm tweeting through it, I read it to the end. Right. Uh, which sometimes I'm like, why did I say I was going to tweet? <laughs> uh, but no, um, no, if a book isn't good, I'll dump it. Yeah, and I do. Uh, I mean, okay, here's the other thing. The more you read, the faster you get. Yes, uh, true. And so you're going to be able to, you know, and I would, I would say only read good books. Mm. So if someone recommends a book to you and it's not good, don't ever take a recommendation from them again. <laughs> yeah. um, and don't just read a book because everybody's reading it. Read a book yeah. because somebody smarter than you that you, you know, emulate or you want to be, whether it's in your field or another field, uh, you know, read that book. I mean, you're not going to do something great or something different by reading the same things everybody else is reading. You know, right. you need to get outside your camp, challenge yourself, all those things. So, um, yeah, man, I, I, I go to get, I don't go to look around. And mm-hmm. by that, I mean, occasionally I'll go back to some fiction with my kids. That's fun. Um, but for the most part, it's like, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to learn something because as a leader who wants to develop other leaders, um, I've got a really short shelf life if I'm not a learner. Yeah, that's a really good point. So you read constantly. Uh, do you take notes or you just, uh, other than tweeting through a book? I'm going to show you what I do when I read a book. Okay, this um, is great. This is, 
<laughs> this is you got this all is your notes. The, the back of a book is for. All right. So for all of you listening on audio, uh, his entire like you know the opening blank pages of a book, just the white pages, completely jammed with notes. So you're a paper guy, not an e-reader guy. Uh, yeah. If there's a book that's going to be in more of a narrative form, like a Lencioni, right. I may listen to it first on Audible. Right. Um, because you know, there's sometimes he's telling a narrative all the way through, and it's just, uh, you know, if I'm reading it, I sometimes I'm one of those people that are I'm guilty of like skipping the story. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I me wanna... too. I just skip the story and go to the principles. Yeah, I'm guilty. But, but yeah, I would say, um, you know, you you have you we are addicted to distraction. Mm-hmm. All of our people are, uh, and we are too. And so it's saying, it's choosing to say, I'm not going to be addicted to distraction. Sure. I'm going to look at Twitter, but I'm going to look at it from in this, you know, I'm going to look at it and respond to it and set up new stuff in this 30 minute window in my day. I'm not going to look at it all day or between meetings or whatever, because if I do personally, if I do that, I'm going to get distracted. Uh, Same thing with email. I want specific time of day. Now for my boss, I'm going to have a specific notification yeah. um, because when he sends me something, you yeah, need to pay attention. I'm paying attention. I'm getting back to him really quickly. Um, but other than that, you know, it, it's, it's this part of the day. So it's, it's getting more and more disciplined yes. to do what you want to do. You are not going to get to that next gear. You're not going to find a new gear as a leader by continuing to do the same thing in the same way. No, I, I think that's true. So, I sent you this question in advance. I don't know whether you had a chance to think through it or not, but top 10 leadership books for you as a voracious reader. Um, and Or even give me the top three. That's like you're on a desert island. You've got the Bible. Doesn't count. All right. You, you get to take three books with you. Which ones are you taking? Oh, man. What am I doing? I mean, right. so, right. so I know this sounds weird and it sounds like a cop out, but... Um, it's like, do you want three marketing books? Do you want mm-hmm. three innovate, you know? No, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. Well, just walk us through some of your all-time faves and we'll, we'll link, them, link to them in the show notes. Okay. Lasting um, Impact, Os- I know, number one. Okay, so, I would say yeah. Oswald Sanders' Spiritual Leadership mm-hmm. is a classic for a reason. Um, if you want to, you know, turn it up on steroids, uh, you read the scripture, all the scripture references that are with that, it's chocked full of scripture. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, oh man, this isn't that deep. I can read, you know, a chapter in seven minutes. Not if you read all the scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would say, uh, read books with people. That's a, a way to kind of turn up the burner on that. Um, right now I would say, I want to give you some recent books that okay, I would yeah, say, sure, sure. Here's, here's in the last year, the best books I've fair enough year and a half. And we'll uh, link to them. Checklist manifesto is vital for, for churches. Um, I would say simply because it, it is about creating some of those systems and auditing, you know, those systems that I, that I was talking about. Checklist Manifesto. Um, Do you know who wrote it offhand? Well, no. Well, that's okay. We'll find it. We'll Google it. We'll find it. It'll be in the show notes. Um, uh, Scaling Up Hex- Excellence by Huggy Rao. Oh, wow. Okay. That sounds fascinating. It's amazing. So, um, he, he said like business development or business is leadership or no business is poetry and plumbing. Uh, and that's what, Brilliant. as soon as I read that, I was like, no, 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 no. Leadership development in a church <laughs> is poetry and plumbing. 
you know, and that's where some of those things come from too, Gary is just saying, okay, this may have come from a completely, you know, disparate field that meant something completely different to the author, but here's what it meant to me. Yeah. Well, the best learning I think is cross-disciplinary. I really do. Designed to lead. That is by Eric Geiger uh, and Kevin Peck is fantastic uh, Mm. combination of theology and practicality in a church. Um, and chapters seven and eight have to do with, um, you know, our, our version of pipeline, uh, specifically. Right. Uh, and then I would say Brad Lominick's book, H3 leadership oh, yeah. is really, really good as well. I think that's a classic. I really do. I think, I think that's going to be read for years and years and years. It's going to be a classic for sure. Um, and you know, I would say, man, if you really like, if you really want to geek out on some, uh, some like organizational leadership. Yeah. Um, you need to look outside of, of Christendom. You need you to do. look at like Edgar Schein who wrote books. He's 87 and he's at MIT. There's another guy named, um, uh, Mark James, I believe, um, who I have a, he's at Stanford. He's like 84. Mm. Uh, but he's, you know, he is this prolific guy, uh, in that, in that field. And you're like, Nobody talks to this guy. I email him. He's like, sure. When do you want to talk? And I'm like, oh my goodness. You're Are you like, kidding me? That's you're the me. best. You're like Elvis to me. Um, and you know, so it's, it's guys like that. So, uh, organizational leadership is a, a textbook, um, by Edgar Schein. Okay. Yeah. He that, wrote that one. That's one. Is it like 700 pages? And Craig yeah. Rochelle talks about it. Some people he say Les McEwen's, um, predictable success is sort of the, the easy access version of it. He's been a guest on this podcast and he'll be at Rethink Leadership. Uh, brilliant guy, super friendly too. I hit him up on Twitter. He's like, I'll be on your podcast. I'm like, amazing. Yeah. Uh, anything Simon Sinek does. Yes. Um, other than Kerry Newoff, he's my favorite guest this year. Oh, there you go. <laughs> uh, and from that conversation, he's, he's currently working on a book um, that is about infinite games. Oh, really? What is that? about okay so you know the, the i always ask the question who you're learning from so he's yeah. talking about gaming theories like i'm reading all these books on gaming theory i'm like why are you doing that and then i know oh you're writing a book um but it, he said you know up until 20 years ago games were finite you win you play to win or lose right you don't and and so he used the example of uh amazon versus walmart walmart was they were playing a finite game amazon was playing an infinite game Walmart couldn't figure out why are people investing in this? How is this company ever going to succeed? It's not even making money. But Amazon was playing an infinite game. They weren't playing to win. They were get, playing to get better every ah, day. And so I still have goosebumps because this person is not a believer. Simon Sinek is not a believer. Yeah. And he taught me more about my own personal walk with Christ in one day, in one sentence uh, that impacted me for the entire year. And that was, I said, Good grief. I'm in an infinite game. I'm in an infinite game as an individual follower of Christ and as a, a leadership guy. Right. But, you know, every day I look back, I'm tempted to look back on the day as if I won or lost instead mm. of, did I get better today? Am I more of who God's calling me to be? Uh, and we allow ourselves to be playing finite games when we're infinite beings. Uh, that God has called to specific things. And and we sometimes get lost in 
the win or lose aspect and we don't look at it as, am I getting better? Man. Am I? Because that's where the long-term success happens. That's where uh, the long-term impact happens. That's incredible. Well, leaders, you're going to have to go to the show notes this week because uh, we're going to link to all of those people, all those books and Simon Sinek. I can't wait for this infinite game theory. That's, that's fascinating. And he's, he's genius. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, remind us of your podcast again, five leadership questions and uh, five leadership questions and new churches podcast. Yep. With Daniel. Um, and and so we'll link to those. We want to get you there. And the pipeline conference happens. Is it in the fall again? Is it in October? In Nashville? It is. It's in the fall. It's uh, myleadershippipeline.com okay. uh, is where you can find that. It's on succession. Um, succession at every level is the, you know, the, like the tagline yeah. of that conference. And, um, you know, we've got uh, Piper and uh, Bob Russell who, you know, handed over to Oh yeah, Dave to Stone, Dave Stone. Handed over to Kyle Eisenman. Just talked to um, Kyle the other day. He's going to be a guest oh, on the podcast too. Oh, I can't wait. It's going to be great. Yeah. It's not just about senior pastor succession. It's right, about right, succession right. every level. Every level. Those are some of the speakers that we have. And so. as someone who spoke last year at the Pipeline Conference, I can vouch for it. It's a first class event. You guys do an unbelievable job. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. I mean, it's been great. Uh, so after we, you know, go off the air, we need to talk about um, having you back on and Let's do something specific. Well, that would be a lot of fun. And Todd, I'll tell you, my brain's spinning. This has been gold. I hear from leaders all the time who are like, man, this just feels like leadership gold. I think you uh, upped it a level. This was brilliant and definitely one that people want to listen to again and again. And I think challenging at every level, whether you lead a large church, small church, whether you're at zero in terms of leadership development or you're like, right, that's why we're not at our sixth campus. Okay, I got it. This is so good. Todd, thanks so much, man. Oh, uh, you online. Where can people find you online personally? Um, I tweet incessantly. Uh, well, it good seems follow, like though. I tweet Good follow, really good follow. Um, but I tweet about leadership constantly. You know, occasionally you'll see something of my family, um, but vast majority of the time it is this resource or this leader or this, you know, this quote yeah. or this whatever, and it's all geared toward leadership development in the church. So Todd Adkins, is it just Todd yep. Adkins? What is your it's just, handle? Yeah, at Todd Adkins, T-O-D-D-A-D-K-I-N-S. With a D, not a T. Adkins, yep. not Atkins. Gotcha. Todd, thanks so much, man. Really, really appreciate you. Well, I wasn't kidding about the pipeline part, was I? <laughs> that was a fantastic conversation. And Todd is a top flight leader. And uh, I'm going to have a sidekick on soon at some point. Or maybe maybe Barnabas would say, no, 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 Todd is my sidekick. But Barnabas Piper is going to be back on this podcast in a couple of weeks. In fact, uh, not next week, but, but soon we're going to have Barnabas back. And next week, if you subscribe, we got something I've been excited about for a long time. Warren Bird and Carl George are joining us together. And we are going to have a conversation about how to break the 200, 600, and 1,000 attendance barriers at your church. And here's a little excerpt from my conversation with Warren Bird and Carl George that you'll be hearing in full next week. And the bus people all over the country were the ones who broke the barrier to go beyond a thousand. And they took the lid right off. The, the next ceiling that had to be broken after the bus people got finished was the ceiling broken by Paul Yonggi Cho, uh, David Cho in, in Korea and some of the other major international churches where they went into the hundreds of thousands and showed us what small groups could do if they were properly implemented. You know how you're not going to miss that? 
subscribe. It's free. You can do it on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio. And for all of you subscribers, thank you so much. That way it just automatically appears in your inbox. Frankly, I'll just be honest with you. I don't really listen much to podcasts I don't subscribe to. So I've subscribed to a couple dozen and that way I make sure I just kind of scroll through. It's like, ah, I'm going to listen to that one. That's how you make sure you don't miss a thing and make sure you don't miss conference season either. Uh, RethinkLeadership.com or CanadianChurchLeadersConference.com. Uh, we'll get you into those two events and uh, go say hi to our friends at Trained Up and make sure you do a great job of uh, supporting your volunteers. Thanks so much for joining us this week. I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.